Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, as we continue through this book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, and uh, as we've transitioned into the life of Abraham, Father, we pray that you would help us to to learn from his life, Lord. We ask that through your spirit you would, um, Lord, help us to understand what your word says, what it means, how it applies to our lives, and that you would ultimately move us closer to you. We pray that we would find peace in our relationship with you. We pray that you would help us to prioritize uh, you in our life. Lord, we are grateful for you in all um, that we think and do and believe. And so we just love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot was with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where he and his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Father, we do uh, thank you uh, for this story. We thank you for Abram's life, and we ask that you would uh, speak to us uh, through your word today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay. So the announcement guy took a long time, so I'm really short on time. I got to kind of, my aim is to keep it a little bit shorter today, to, to stay on track, but when a pastor says that, it doesn't really mean anything. And so reviewing what we covered last week, so we, we did these four verses last week, but just to kind of set our, our context, in the first verse here, we read, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged uh, to him and Lot within with him. So remember, there was a famine in the land. I've kind of changed the map and the, the system where look, the, the, the flow of things and the numbers we're looking at basically Israel. Egypt is to the, to the bottom left. There was a famine in the land. Abram was supposed to be in the land of Canaan, this whole region. There was a famine. He got scared. He goes down to Egypt because it's very fertile territory. There, there was food and there were things there. While he goes down there, he comes up with a brilliant idea that's very heavy with a sarcasm. He tells his wife, please lie and say that you're my sister. It was a half lie because she was his sister, uh, half sister. They had uh, different moms, same dad, I think, or my vice versa. I don't remember the details of their, I'm off the top of my head, but so they lied and it didn't really work out that well, if you can believe it. And so the Pharaoh gets upset. God seems to protect Sarah through this journey. Uh, Peter talks about... uh, that, that Sarah obeyed her husband by faith, even though he was like wrong, is kind of what was indicated, and that God took care of her. And so this, the story today, we begin in Egypt, we make our way to the Negev, from number one over to the Negev, and then up. I, I can only imagine that this was a long, quiet camel ride home. I'm imagining his wife was not happy with him, through this journey, as Abram makes his way back up to the promised land that God had told him to go to, 
with his tail between his legs, trying to apologize, trying to do whatever. But this, the, the Bible doesn't say, but this has to have been an uncomfortable ride home. Now, Abram was very rich. Just interesting, this is the first time that like wealth is mentioned in the Bible, that, that the word rich is used. Um, we're just told that through this journey, uh, Abram became rich in livestock, in silver and gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formally, and Abram called on the name of the Lord. And so he started up here in that green box area, kind of Israel. There's Bethel there. And this is the last place that he was that God had sort of communicated to him. He got there. God had sort of moved. He made an altar. We describe this sort of like what we think of modern day journaling. He, he makes this altar to remember what God had done. Then the famine came and he departed. So he departs by following his flesh. He returns to the place that he last encountered God. He got off course. God was moving him back to this location. This is the last place he'd heard God's voice, the last place he was walking with God. And I, I do think that there's like a lesson there. Like when we get off course, like what were you doing when you were walking with God? What things have come into your life that have knocked you off course? Maybe you need to get rid of those. Maybe you need to resume things that you were doing when God was moving in your life and you were hearing his voice. And so he comes back to that place where he'd last encountered God. And we enter into verse 5, new territory here. So Lot, Abram's nephew... I believe that there was a special relationship between Lot and Abram. Abram's brother died, and Lot was that brother's son. Abram and Sarai could not have children, and so they kind of taken Lot, it seems, sort of as their own child to raise and to care for. And so we're told now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together, and there was strife between the herd, herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling then in the land, and so we're, identi- we're, we're told the problem is identified. Number one problem, their stuff. Their stuff grew. Their stuff then led to strife, and also I don't have an S because that's not how I work. But I'm like, oh no, I'm not a lit- I'm not doing that. I just then there's others. We're told that that there's in addition to their their own stuff, their own staff that's now like squabbling with one another. There's the, the Canaanites who were the cursed descendants of Ham, that would be a constant sort of thorn in Israel's side. That they were also in the land with the Perizzites. And so they have a problem. Um, this whole story, it kind of reminds me, Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12. That it's sort of different, but Jesus tells this parable about this rich man. He had a bunch of stuff. The stuff continued to grow and grow and grow. 
that he needed, he, he ran out of room to take care of his stuff, so he needed to buy more stuff in order to take care of the stuff he had. And so he spent his whole life accumulating stuff and then other stuff to take care of the stuff. And he says, you fool, you're doing all of this and, and your life is going to end tonight, but you've got a nice barn filled with stuff, but you've wasted everything caring for your stuff. Now, I don't think that this exactly fits, but this parable is sort of in my mind. Their stuff has now reached the spot where it's, it's created tension. And so the question is, how are they going to handle this? How would Abraham like, respond this time? And I think that there's a lesson here in how Abram deals with this, this conflict that's brewing. The last time he had a conflict or a concern, it was the famine. And so he takes matters in his own hands. He goes where he thinks it's going to be okay. He doesn't seem to consult God. He doesn't seem to call out on God for God to provide for him. So now we have another opportunity for growth. There's problems. What would Abram do? And so in verse 8, what we read is, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen for we are brothers. It is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. So the problem is their stuff. Their people are now fighting. There's parasites and Canaanites in the land. They need to do something. And so now Abram comes to this problem And what he says is very humbly to his nephew, listen, we're family. I don't want there to be squabbling. I don't want there to be strife. You choose. If you go to the left, I'll take the land to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. There was a policy in my family when growing up that if anything had to be separated, I don't know if you guys have the same policy. It makes sense. I've tried to initiate it in my policy. If there's something to divide, let's say an apple fritter, Somebody cuts it. Who gets to choose? The person who didn't cut it gets to choose which side it goes on. Like, I'm going to cut it, then you choose. Because I know in my flesh, if I got to choose the side I cut, I'd cut them a little sliver, and I would take the big part. But so Abram just says, look at the land. I'm not going to squabble with you. I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't want there to be friction before our families. He's super gracious, super humble. He's the older one. He's the uncle. He's sort of like initiating. When I look at how Abram responds in this this situation, I think of the instruction that Paul gives us as followers of Christ. In Romans 12, verse 18, what he says is, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So we're told that the Christian life, those who follow Christ, our, our disposition, our aim, As we look at other people, this isn't just within the household of God. This is with all people. Our bent should be that we desire to be at peace with all people. And and that's like as much as we can do, that's where we need to leave it. Now, I also will notice that it says, if possible. There are some really difficult people. Uh, The most difficult person I've ever encountered uh, resides within my skin. And so I like, like... so I know that I need to not be difficult. Like I need to have this attitude of like not being difficult. I need to always leave the ball in the other person's court with me genuinely saying, I don't want to be at odds with you. 
I forgive you, here it is. And they might not receive it, but at least I know before God that I at least left it there. That, that that's, it's their move. I've done everything I can do. And I also then, in saying this, I also have to really keep myself in check that I'm not just trying to call their bluff. Like, oh, I'm going to do this, so I've crossed the box, but man, I hope they don't come back because I'm not ready, you know? Like, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul writes this, looking at Christ. He continues with this, this thought, and, and we see it in Abram, and we're supposed to display this as well. Paul writes, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I had to stop it there in my notes because if I keep going, we'll finish the whole chapter. But it says, have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. And then he goes and he unpacks Jesus's example that he being God came to earth as a man. He lived a perfect life amongst sinners He ultimately gave his life, was nailed to a cross, and he did it for us. He could have pushed back, but he gave everything. And this is the attitude of humility that we're supposed to have. And so in this story, I see Abram living out the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God doesn't change from Old to New Testament. Maybe how God relates to us changes. But here we see the fruit of the Spirit in Abram's life. Abraham comes to this situation, this case. He says, I want to be at peace with you. And this is what I have. I'm going to do what Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says. He didn't know it said it yet. It didn't exist at the time. But that same spirit was within him that said, you want the right? I'll go to the left. You choose. And I love this. And ultimately, if we want to have this kind of peace, we have to have a relationship with the ultimate peacemaker and that's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And if we receive him as our savior, we're told that his spirit indwells us. And as we yield our lives to the spirit of God, then his fruit begins to manifest itself in our lives. And we begin to live like this. And if you've walked in your flesh for a long time, it's really cool when this happens. Like when you see the fruit, like that so wasn't me. Like I don't even know what's happening here because I know my nature and it's not my nature to respond like this. And so our relationship with Christ should produce this kind of fruit. So the question is, is how would Lot respond? Verse 10, Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan. This is that, I don't know, pink, purple circle my update of the map. So this is, this is the area that he sees, modern-day Jordan today, the Valley of the Jordan, that it was well-watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the Valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus, they separated from each other. And so here we have Lot. I, uh, so much of Lot's, how he responds, it's kind of like speculation, like I, I, and I want to be careful. But so they kind of find themselves, well, for the illustration, let's just say where these two lines sort of intersect. I have no idea 
it's pretty close. It's probably actually up here. We know up there. But my computer skills aren't that great to get the circles and stuff to get where, right where you need to be. And so the, Abram says, look to the left, to the right, whatever you want, I'll go the opposite direction. Today, if you go there, like the text says, this was before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Apparently, the country of Jordan used to be very lush and green. And he looks out, he sees this beautiful land, and he says, that's what I'll take. And as I think about this, Lot was the younger one. This is the kid, uh, culturally, and just sort of like the way this is supposed to go. Like I have the the thinking of um, when you go to dinner with uh, somebody, like maybe it's like Mother's Day. Hey, it's Mother's Day. And you take your mom out to dinner. You get the nice dinner, and then the, 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 oh man, what's the, I have the word in Spanish. This is funny. Camarera. Uh, the waiter comes. So <laughs> I've been uh, going backwards. So the waiter comes, and he comes with a check. And I probably have this sort of backwards, but it's sort of like the idea when you go out to dinner, everybody says, oh, no, no, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay. No, 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 let me pay. Like there's normally like this little like fight about like, and if you really want to do it, you catch the person like off the side before this even comes about. But, but so there's like normally like this little squabble. And you think that Lot should be like saying, you know what? That's the best. You take that. You're older. You've taken care of me. You've led me. You've, my dad died. You've taken, like, no Lot, you, no Abram, you choose. And there's, there, there's, there's none of this. This is like taking your mom to dinner on Mother's Day and then letting mom pay for the bill. You know, it's like, no, no, that's not, it's not supposed to be that way. And so many believe in the commentaries about Lot and what he did is, is, is that he was pursuing wealth and prosperity, not God's will. He was going after the flesh, not necessarily seeking what God wants. Abram seemed to yield and just let God fight his battle. And so Abram in verse 12, he settled in the land of Cana. This is the, the, basically the, the green rectangle area, modern-day Israel, where God wanted him. Like, ultimately, this is where God told him to go. It, it was the land of promise. However, there were the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the land wasn't as lush as the other side. So it was taking the least desirable place in his humility. Lot takes the best. And I think that there might be a lesson, and I don't want to take it too far. I think that there are times we see it over and over again where individuals pursue um, vocation over considering the spiritual implications that are on their family. Now, we don't want to take this too far because as, as Peter, dealing with the story that's going to come with Sodom and Gomorrah where his family's wiped out, he's spared because of his righteousness sake. But many make the case that Lot wasn't thinking about the spiritual implications about his pursuit of wealth and, and gain. I, I don't want to take it too far, but we see that his family could not survive spiritually in this land, and they were ultimately destroyed. And so I do think from this, and I think there's an important lesson for us as we make decisions to consider what are the spiritual implications if I go this direction with my job, my vocation, this move, what are the implications on myself and my family spiritually? 
Normally we make decisions based on like, what do we like? What sort of money, opportunity? What are the politics there? And I think that, that God wants us to think about the spiritual implications. Like I think about California, like I don't want to get political. Like, and I'm not getting, like this isn't, this, this is an observation on society. Like California is a massively unreached people group. This should be a location that Christians are flying into to become missionaries. And yet what we see is an exodus of Christians from this land that needs us to be salt and light. I'm not talking about our votes. I'm talking about our influence with people because it's about the transformed heart. And so this has been like, uh, listen, living in California, I'm a born and bred Californian. I'm, you know, it depends on where you're from, whether you like that or not. But there's been like that, man, this place is like, like, like in the flesh. It's like this place is changing. And God's like, well, why did you come here? I just came here because I was born here. Well, why are you in Valley Center? Because you called me here. Am I calling you away? No. Like, so I'm at the place in my life where I'm here because I believe that God wants me here to be obedient to him. There are a whole bunch of lost people in this state. This, this place is ripe for the harvest. There are people that desperately need the gospel here. And so we as Christians are getting smaller and smaller in California, but we need more and more Christians to come. And if we're here, then that means that we've been able to like plant our lives here and sustain. It's hard to come into California because of the cost. And so my prayer is that God would continue to like move in us to realize that like, guys, like we could be missionaries here to be a light for him here. And I love in this story, okay, verse 14, let's get to the part I love. <clears throat> so Abram humbles himself. He lets the little whippersnapper take the best land. He's like the one who did everything. I could see room for getting really bitter, like that little punk kid. I can't believe he stuck me with like Barstow, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like th- that's, that's kind of the implication. Your laughter tells me you know exactly what I'm thinking and what Abraham should feel. Then the Lord said in verse 14 to Abram, so now God's going to speak to him again. Lot is gone. Then the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. And so from this location, the deal is is the promise to Abraham at covenant is far greater than the nation of Israel today. The nation of Israel is a tiny little sliver compared to the promise that God has given. He says, look here, as far north as you can possibly look, as far to the east as you can possibly see, as far to the west, as far to the south, all of this is yours. Look the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. Verse 15, for the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants. There's a word there that you should circle forever. This word forever leads to the Middle East conflict today. This is why Jerusalem is the most contested part of the land. The Palestinians are coming in and saying, no, 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 we are here. But the problem is long before the Palestinians were there, there was a promise from God that this land was to be the Jewish people. And we're not, the, 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 the problem and the tensions aren't going to be resolved through politics, through guys coming together. Like only God is going to resolve this point of conflict. But we have in the scriptures within the Abrahamic covenant, 
that God is going to give Abraham and his descendants this land forever. Forever. He continues and he says, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number all the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Now, remember in the last story, we learned that he was about like 75, I think. So he's kind of, he's getting up there. His, and, and his wife is barren. So, but, but in about 20 years, God's going to start working on this, which you can imagine this is an opportunity for God uh, to let Abram grow in his faith. But he's saying, you go to the seashore, all of the sand, if you could count it, that's how many of your descendants there'll be. Verse 17, arise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. Walk all around this place, Abraham. It's yours and your descendants. He doesn't have any at this point, but God's going to take care of that later. And so Abram moves. And I love that he leaves room in this whole situation for God to fight his battles and for God to respond and to do something. So often we try to bypass faith and to take the answers into our own hands We want to fix the problem. We want to do this. But what God wants us to do is, here I am, Lord, deal with it. I got this. I don't know how it's going to be. Lord, I trust you for the answer. I trust you. That's all. That's, that's, I trust you. That's a huge place to get to in our lives. And so Abram does this. Lord, I trust you with this decision. Hey, he took, he took this. I guess I'll go to Barstow. I'll trust you, God. Trust you in Barstow. I don't know how this is going to work out. Then Abram moved his tent, and came and dwelt by the the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And so there he goes. He goes and he journals again. So Abram, God speaks. He goes to the place where he last saw God. He goes there. This all happens. And then God appears again, and he reminds him of the promise that he made back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. This, this promise is going to continue to unfold. We're going to get the actual Abrahamic covenant in, in Genesis chapter 15. And so Abram, he builds an altar, he worships God, and he just, this is journaling. He's reminding himself that he could look back on what God did in that day. And so what do we do with this, like, this story? This is like, we're always like, what's a so what? So when I look at this, the first thing this week that's been sort of jumping out at me is God wants us to prioritize him in our decisions. And as we prioritize God in our decisions, often this priority of placing God first will be in stark contrast to your flesh. It'll be in stark contrast to the culture around you. It'll go against what you think is the best thing often. Like it doesn't make sense. Two weeks ago, like this little like weird thought I got because of who knows what, that I'm supposed to go to Romania and say, okay, God, I'll take this step forward. Just close the door. The first step was Anna. That, she's super excited about it. That's it works. I, uh, yeah, yeah, Diana's too. And then the next step, certainly that was going to close the door, was my dad who's like in a retirement home with Alzheimer's and is super stressed when I leave. And he's like, you need to go. This is awesome. He's super jazzed about it. Like, and it's sustained. So, so as we like put God first, I think when we get to the end of it, we see what God was doing. Like two weeks from today, like we're, the whole sermon is going to be about Romania. I have no idea what it's going to be about. But I have a, a feeling that I'll have a whole lot more clarity in two weeks than I do today. 
And this is so often the decisions that we make, you know, God, I'm going to honor you with this decision. I want to go this direction. It doesn't really make sense, but I really, truly sense that you're leading me this direction. I've talked to counsel, all my Christian friends, and their wisdom, they don't think that there's any... Like, however you go about, when we prioritize placing God in our lives and our decisions, when we get to the end of it, you go, ah, I see what God was doing there. Then the second thing I see, as we prioritize God in our lives, it like, it like changes the desire of our hearts. It changes how we interact with people. We can be at peace with other people. Like conflict merges and your, your instinct to go for the jugular vein suddenly changes to like, man, Romans twelve eighteen says, I, if so much depends on me, I need to be at peace with all men. And so then you're going at it with a humble spirit and say, you know what, because of God's glory and his presence in my life, I don't want to be at peace with this person, but I'm going to do whatever I can do to be at peace with this person. He changes us. He changes our desires. If you have peace with God, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first person that you need to get right with is God. You need to get right with God. And we're told in the Scriptures that if you don't have Jesus in your life, you are at war with him. But he made a plan that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. He made a sacrifice for you. He was your substitute on the cross. Your sins were placed upon him. And it was sufficient. And we receive this this gift through faith, just like Abraham walked by faith. And we're told that when we receive Christ as our Savior, this war that was between us and God is no longer there, and we have peace with God. And as we have peace with God, then we're able to have peace with others and with our circumstances. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses All comprehension will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So as you have this relationship with God, this intimacy with God, you understand that he's sovereign, he's over all things and in charge of all things, that he's created peace with him. And then as you enter into circumstances that are difficult, suddenly you have this peace because you know my God is bigger than this problem. And whatever this problem is, that is in my life, God is going to use this to refine me and to shape me. And I don't, I'm scared. I'm worried. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust him to, to, to work itself out. And then ultimately, when we get to like Christianity, like 102, then we come into these problems and we get to the point where the circumstance happens and we say, thank you, God, for bringing this crisis into my life. Because you're doing something through this crisis. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. He says, rejoice always, always. There's no star. There's no under these circumstances. No, no. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. Going through cancer, praise God. Because he's going to do something through your cancer. It might not be in this life. It might be refining you into glory. Our promises aren't in this life. Our promises are in the future life. This life is just training like boot camp for the next life. And so when we come into this relationship where we know Jesus as our Savior, 
We know that we have peace with God. The squabbles in our family and the little things that we have going on, this isn't a big deal. These are opportunities for, for us to display Christ, for us to trust him, to be refined. And this is ultimately, if you're his child and you've surrendered your life, this ultimately becomes the longing of our hearts. And so that's my prayer for us today. The guy went long on announcements. I'll wrap up now. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the story of Abraham. I thank you, Lord, for his life, for his example. I thank you that he was not a perfect man. I thank you that his life is on display, as they say, warts and all, that the only perfect person in the scriptures is Jesus. And all of the main characters in this book are all flawed. They all fall short. They all make terrible mistakes. But the story isn't about them. It's about you. And so, Lord, seeing you in this story, I thank you that you are a God of second chances, third chances, millionth chances. As long as we are alive and breathing in this body, there is a chance to get right with you. And so, Father, I pray for people in this room who may or may not know you as their Savior. I pray that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus, that they would be able to respond in faith, trust him for salvation, and then begin the journey of walking with him and allowing your spirit to sanctify them into the person that you desire them to be. Father, for those of us who know you in this room, we pray, Father, that you would help us in our decision-making process, that we would first and foremost put you in the driver's seat, that we would seek you and ask you for any decision that we have in our life, that we would be first and foremost concerned about the spiritual implications in our life before we make any other decisions for our spiritual relationship with you. This is the most important decision. These things result in consequences and things for eternity. And so, Father, we desire to be used by you. We pray, Father, for the people in our lives that you would help us to be the ones who are peacemakers. We pray, Father, that you would do your work in our lives and help us to respond by faith. And when we fall short, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, and for the opportunities that you give us to grow in maturity and in Christ-likeness. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.